word together um, and just getting to just spend time together and open up God's word and study together. And that's what we're going to do today. Now, I'll assume most of us, uh, probably all of us, just got done celebrating Thanksgiving. And we love Thanksgiving for a lot of different reasons, right? Some of us love the food. Um, I love most of the food. I don't know about your opinion on green bean casserole. Mine, not my favorite. Might be yours, but um, to me, it's like a pile of mush. But um, some of us love the food. Uh, Some of us love the decorations, right? We love decorating, we love the pumpkins, and we love all that. Um, Some of us love the spirit of gratitude that seems to saturate our nation, right? It's like that one time a year that people prioritize being grateful. It's a great thing. Uh, Some of us love uh, football, right? We love, you know, Thursday football, sitting down, watching the game. Some of us love the parade. And then there's this last topic that depending of your opinion on this topic, it can be a blessing or it can be a challenge. And that topic is friends and family. Um, for, some, for some of us, we gather around at Thanksgiving, and for some, we have an amazing relationship with our family, right? It's amazing. We get some time together. And then some of us, if we're being honest, um, there's some we have a challenge with. And there is something about gathering around a table that seems to amplify those challenges. Maybe your family's perfect, but, you know, my family, you know, we, we have some things to, to work through. Now, some of those challenges happen because of a lot of different things, right? Uh, For some of us, those people who tend to bring the challenges, um, they love bringing up situations that you're like, why are we talking about this right now, right? Like, like we could talk about this any other time, but like, why do we have to do it right now? Um, For some, it's like conversations where they point things out and you're like, please, can we just have a nice family dinner? You know, you're kind of sitting down, right? You sit down to just have the turkey, and um, you, okay, I don't know if you have an uncle, but usually we all have that uncle that brings up conversations that you just wish weren't brought up. Uh, and sometimes you'll sit down, and that uncle starts talking about, um, uh, did you see about a red wave or a blue wave? And you know that around the table, there is a mixture of opinions and perspectives, and you're just sitting there going, I just, I just wanted to have the turkey. Can, can, we just, can we just not do this right now? Can we just have the turkey? For sometimes, it's like, you know, that family member that brings up, you know, an LGBTQ plus issue, and you're like, listen, these are important things to talk about, but can we just not right now? I just want the mashed potatoes. Like, can we just not do this right now? Sometimes it's a relationship status. You know, you know that so-and-so is asking about a relationship status, and you know that person doesn't really want to talk about it, but they keep probing, and they keep asking, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, arguments begin to pop up, and quarreling begins to happen, and, and, and the peace of the home begins to deteriorate. And then when it seems to be at its peak, someone brings up a topic that they read on Facebook about some abortion issue, and you're like, please, can we not? I don't know if you've ever had moments like this, but I sure have. And and here's the tension. Most times, people who like to talk about things like this don't do it in an honest conversation. Right? They don't talk about things like this to, to gather deeper perspective, perspective or to have an honest conversation. No. 
They bring up these conversations and they like to drop a bomb in the middle of the table and then watch the carnage as everyone begins to debate and argue and they just sit back and laugh. And what was once a peaceful dinner conversation has now erupted and engulfed into debate and division in the family is everywhere. Now, we know that these kinds of things is really difficult to manage and deal with inside our friends and family circles. I mean, it's bad enough there. But what happens when we bring that kind of thinking or that kind of division inside the church? What happens when we bring that kind of division and thinking and debating and arguing, when we bring that side in the church and and going even deeper, what happens when we bring that inside the church family? Well, I'll tell you what happens. It's deadly. It's deadly. We're called to be the family of God. If you this morning are in Christ, you have given your life over to Jesus, that you have trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are part of the family of God and you are in Christ this morning. And we're called to be unified in love and in truth and in grace. But the reality is, if we're honest this morning, we don't always act like it. You see, oftentimes when we come into a church building like this or a church family like this, we bring our wants and our desires and our preferences and and our ideas. And and instead of being unified and what we're supposed to be unified in, that being Jesus and scripture, we end up pulling each other apart, right? We debate and we argue and we wrestle and we challenge and and we, we tear each other apart personally, and, and we get wrapped up in all kinds of controversies. Well, today we are going to finish our study in the book of Titus. And, and you see, Paul needed, the Apostle Paul needed Pastor Titus and the Christians that were on the island of Crete to understand this, that unity inside of the church is of the utmost importance. That when we think about the church, unity inside of the church is of the utmost importance. And that you and I need to be remain unified in two things. In Jesus and the gospel and in scripture. But we do such a great job of tearing each other apart. So why is unity for us so important? It's for three reasons. The first one, it is our hope. It's our hope that we unified in Jesus and the gospel. That is our hope, and we need to stay unified in that. The second is, it is our witness to a divided world. I'm not sure if you've ever seen our world. You've ever watched the news. Um, There is division everywhere. We have never been more undivided than we have probably in human history when you think about the entire world. There is division everywhere, and our job as a church is to show a unified front that in Christ we are unified, and that is our witness to an outside world. And the third reason, it's our protection. That we are against a relentless enemy, and at every single moment, the enemy is trying to divide us. But our protection is, as we stand together and are unified, that is our protection. So unity is worth fighting for, and unity requires action. 
And so this is what we're going to look at in our text today. And I believe what the Apostle Paul wants us to understand, and that's this, is that unity requires action. Unity requires action. Today we are, are kind of finishing, our, the, it's the last week of our series titled Unmasking Average. And you see, the Apostle Paul knew that when, on the topic of unity, at every turn, someone or something is trying to destroy it. And as Christians, we can get so distracted and end up getting divided and have worthless conversations and we hide in controversies and that kind of thinking hides an average. But you see, Paul knew that we're not called to average, we're called to extraordinary. God has saved us, he has given us a purpose, and he's given us a mission, and we are called to extraordinary things. We're not called to average. And so if we want to live extraordinary, we need to point out some things, particularly on the topic of unity. When you think about unity, so much of unity has to do with how to navigate relationships. Um, I'm not sure, if, again, if you've ever dealt with relationships, but sometimes they can be um, dividing. Uh, it can bring division. And so in this passage, uh, passage this morning, Paul is going to give us four relationships. And he's going to show us the actions that we need to take and some of the things that we need to avoid and some of the things we need to embrace the things that we need to embrace to experience true unity. So we're going to be in Titus chapter 3, and we're going to start in um, verse 9, and it reads like this. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. When you're reading scripture, it is really important that when you see a but that you need to back up a little bit and say, okay, well, what, why are we saying but? What are we talking about? And so if you were here last week, Pastor Jason kind of unpacked this for us, but I want to kind of circle back a little bit. What are we doing here? Like if there's things that are worthless, what are things that have value? And what Paul talked about is Jesus and the gospel. If we go back to verse four, it says this, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And then he go to verse 8, and it says, Paul says this, um, these things are excellent and profitable for people. So what Paul is saying here is that there are some things worth engaging being Jesus in the gospel, and there are some things worth avoiding. During the time this was written, on the, particularly on the island of Crete, there was a religious sect called the Judaizers. Uh, these were people that liked taking a little bit of the Old Testament <clears throat> and a little bit of the New Testament, putting it in a blender and blending it all together. And so what they would do is they would take like some of the law of Moses and they would take some of the Jesus stuff that they liked and they would put it in a blender. They would blend it up and make kind of, they made their own religion. And then what they would do is they would try to hold others accountable to this religion. They also did this weird thing where they took genealogies and they tried to trace back their genealogy back to like Old Testament prophets to see who could have the most clout. And what Paul is saying here is, Listen, if it ain't about Jesus and it ain't about the word of God, 
we're called to avoid it. The Greek translation of the word avoid in here literally means to turn around. That when you have a moment where you're experiencing a conversation like this, we're told, hey, don't even engage this. No, we're called to literally turn around and avoid it. When I was thinking about this, I have to be honest, and I almost chuckled. And I don't know if you've ever had a moment like this, but if you don't chuckle, you will probably end up crying. Because if you've ever lived in a church community for any amount of time, um, you know that you've seen things like this play out time and time again. We fight about everything. When it comes to being inside of the church, we fight about everything. We fight about worship styles. Some of us like drums and singing songs like this, and some of us love piano and hymns and an organ. We fight. Some of us fight about dancing. I grew up in a church that you were not allowed to dance because dancing makes babies. And so you couldn't dance, and, and, and we fought about it. Everyone, you know, fought about it. Some of us fight about tattoos. Can you have a tattoo or can you not have a tattoo? Some of us fight about clothing styles. Are you supposed to wear a suit and tie to church? Or can you wear ripped jeans? And we fight, and we fight, and we fight, and we argue and argue and argue, and the list goes on and on and on. And here's what I promise you. I promise, I promise, and promise. In light of eternity, these conversations are meaningless. The debate between ripped jeans and a suit and tie, yeah, it's okay to have some conversations and, and to wrestle a little bit, but in light of eternity, these conversations are meaningless. And here's the root of why these sometimes are so difficult, is oftentimes when we have these conversations, we don't do it in a sense of like, you know what, I just want to sit down and I really want to wrestle and just have an honest conversation and, and I want to root this in love and I want to just kind of open up my mind to see what new ideas maybe I can experience. No, we don't do that. We debate. And we debate feeling like we're already right and we want to win and we want to make sure you know that we're right. And that never leads to a place of unity. It always leads to a place of destruction. I remember one time in life group, I'm not going to point out in the room who said this, but one time in life group, a question was asked, can Jesus fly? Um, okay, well, this is a, a fun maybe conversation to have, right? We can debate and talk about could Jesus fly, um, but I promise you this is not a worthy conversation, right? And if we took that kind of silly question to a place of um, arguing and quarreling and strife and hurt feelings, I promise you that question and that debate is foolish. I remember being in my early 20s and I was kind of at that age where like I grew up in the faith and I was transitioning to, is this my faith? Right? I saw people in the church arguing and fighting and I was like, you know, that's not really what I see Jesus talking about, but there's a lot of people fighting. And, and there was this pastor that came alongside me and taught me something that was so impactful. His name was uh, Charles Zimmerman. He's a pastor in Pennsylvania. And he taught me this amazing matrix that you and I as Christians can use when we're thinking about and sorting through topics like this. Uh, recently, Jason and I took this like spiritual leadership test and it came out that I am 70% a teacher. I'm not sure if a, a good or bad teacher, but I'm 70% a teacher. So class is in session, and I'm going to teach you a concept. And it goes like this. There's a, a slide on the screen. There are three circles. 
Preferences, convictions, and absolutes. Preferences, convictions, and absolutes. And every single person in this room has those three things. Every single person. But how we manage those three things and what we do with those three things are vitally important when we think on the topic of unity and what really matters. I'll give you an example of preferences. Um, maybe some preferences are ripped jeans, loud music, and maybe um, a worship center that's painted black. Right now, some of us have a preference where they like that. And on the other side, there's another preference where like I would, you know, I grew up a little bit more conservative and I like, you know, to dress a little bit differently and, and I like a different style of music and I would rather sit in a room with pews and instead of, of chairs. It is totally fine to have those preferences. In fact, I'll be honest with you. I'm a pastor in this church. There are things we decide to do that if it were my decision, I'd do it differently. But see, those are just my preferences, right? Preferences are based off our feelings and our experiences and our likes. And where we get into danger is if we move our preferences to our convictions because they're just preferences, And there are things that happen that I have to know. They're a preference of mine. They're not based on scripture, right? And so we get into danger if we move our preferences to our convictions. There's danger in that. Because what we end up doing is we start arguing about our preferences. Who cares? In light of eternity, this is not not worth destroying unity and destroying the church. The next one is convictions. Convictions are, they're normally not based on a scripture, but there's biblical wisdom, right? As we read scripture, we can find biblical wisdom and we're, we're gonna hold strong beliefs and have convictions about certain topics. I'll give you an example. I grew up in a church where you were forbidden under any circumstances to watch an R-rated movie except if it was The Passion of the Christ. Like if it was The Passion of the Christ, you could watch an R-rated movie, but outside of that, you could never, ever, 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 ever watch an R-rated movie. And uh, so here's the deal. It doesn't stay in Scripture. I'm going to get in trouble, but it it doesn't say in Scripture that you can't watch an R-rated movie, but there's biblical wisdom. Right, if you're watching movies that are filled with sex and filled with language, and you're learning that you're, hey, the more I've watched this and put this stuff in my mind, my thought life is going wrong places, and and my language is changing, and and I'm starting to use words that I don't really want to use, and and the way I'm giving an example to my kids by the way I'm living, like this stuff is affecting me. Well, it could be a strongly held conviction that this is not a good thing for you because of biblical wisdom and things we're learning in scripture. That's totally okay. But it's not directly in scripture. So where we get into danger if we take our convictions and move them into our absolutes. I'll give you a personal example, and this is where it gets spicy. Um, For me in my life, a personal conviction is I have made the decision not to drink. And let me tell you why. For me, there is a lineage in my family of men abusing alcohol, and in turn, abusing the ones they love. So when I was a teenager and I saw kind of this this pattern in my family, I made the decision that when I comes to loving my wife and eventually raising my kids, that pattern stops with me. 
So I made the decision that drinking is not going to be in my life. The other thing is I have tons of friends who have made really poor decisions and have actually ruined their lives because of alcohol. And so for me, it is a personal conviction that I don't drink alcohol. But, but here's the problem. There is nowhere in Scripture that says, thou shall not drink. I can show you verses that talk about it's not good to be a drunkard. It's not good to be actively drunk all the time. I can, I can show you biblical wisdom about how we're supposed to live and how if you have excessive drinking, how that can disrupt what God wants for your life. That's biblical wisdom. It's a conviction. But it doesn't say thou shall not drink. And so what happens is if I can get into trouble, and I used to do this when I was younger, I moved a conviction into an absolute. And what I would begin doing is I begin judging other people about my conviction. And so there would be a couple, a nice couple having a nice glass of wine with dinner, and I would get a little judgy. Right? I would get a little judgy, and it's totally fine for them, and they're not doing anything wrong, but because I moved a conviction into an absolute, it became foolish, it became disruptive, it brought division, and it ruined relationships in my life. And so I've needed to learn that these things need to stay where they're at. Preferences, conviction, and absolutes. Because for a Christian, the only thing that is supposed to be in our absolutes is Jesus and Scripture. But as Christians, we love to move our preferences into our convictions and our convictions into our absolutes. And then we love judging and we love fighting. We love tearing apart. And what Paul is saying here is stop. Unity requires action. And sometimes when we're presented with a foolish conversation or we're presented with a foolish controversy in love, sometimes we simply need to walk away. We avoid foolish. The next thing that Paul shows us is we reject divisive. We reject divisiveness. It says in verse 10, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and is sinful, he is self-condemned. In this passage, Paul is outlining another relationship and an action that might need to be taken. This process is the same thing that we read in Matthew 18 that Jesus teaches us is that if someone in the church is continually stirring up division, especially on the preferences and the convictions, not the absolutes, if we ever stop preaching the gospel, please start stirring something up. But if we're stirring something up on preferences and convictions, we as a duty, as, as church leaders, have a responsibility to say, hey, dude, like, you're making problems and you're causing division and you're causing wars and you're causing fights over secondary issues. Like, you might need to pull it back a little bit. And they say, well, I don't really care. And then we approach again and say, hey, listen, like, you're still causing up division. You're breaking relationships. You're breaking unity in the church. Like, this is not on absolutes. These are our preferences. And, and, and we need you to pull back a little bit. Well, I don't really care. What Paul is teaching here is that there is a process. And at that point, we need to say, hey, it's time for you to leave. Now, you might say that this sounds a little harsh. But here's what I promise you. A divisive person left unchecked is cancerous. 
I don't know if you've ever experienced this in your own life. Um, I've seen uh, divisive people destroy relationships. I've seen them destroy friendships. I've seen them destroy families. And I've especially seen churches destroyed by divisive people left unchecked. The mission of God is far too important, and Paul knew this. And there comes a point that someone has to speak. If division is being created, at some point, someone has to speak and say, enough. This past week, I was preparing this sermon, and uh, I was sitting in a Starbucks. Um, If you're following me on Instagram, you already know this story. Um, But I was sitting in Starbucks, and it was a Wednesday. Kids have it a half day. And so um, probably around noon... This Starbucks was, listen, before I say this, I love middle schoolers. If you're a middle school in the room, I love you. I love you. But almost like in seconds, 100 middle schoolers came pouring into this Starbucks. And um, I I would like to tell you that they were like being really nice and courteous and very warm and friendly, but they were not. Um, They were screaming and breaking things and pushing things and causing an absolute disaster and chaos. Now, what could have happened is nothing. What could have happened is things got left unchecked and disaster kept happening and things kept getting broken. But at some point, the manager stood up and said basically this, listen, you either need to start behaving or you need to leave. And in that moment, I promise you that every adult in that Starbucks wanted to do that like slow, like the slow, the slow clap. At some point, we can either leave division unchecked, but that's not what Paul's saying here. He's saying, listen, if division is happening, someone needs to stand up and do something because the mission of God is too important. And what we're doing here as a body of Christ is too important, and, and we need to speak when division is happening. And Paul says that the person that is doing this, that person that is continually stirring up division that that person is warped, is sinful, and is self-condemned. And so what I want to challenge you with that is, one, we need to be on guard. Like, if we're noticed someone continually stir up division, like, we need to, in love, say to them, like, yo, like, work on this. But what I also will tell you is some of us need to look at our own life. There have been moments in my life that division has been swirling around me, and I've needed to look at my own heart, right? Like, like, am I the reason for this division? I had to analyze my heart and analyze my words. Is division happening because of preferences or convictions, or are they happening because of absolutes? And there have been some moments in my friendships where I've had to do a heart check and say, hey, I'm causing unwarranted division. There have been moments in my family and even my church where I have to say, man, I need to take a step back. I need to look at my own heart. Some of us need to take a step and say, hey, is the way I'm responding on social media? We're in an election season. I don't know if you've been online recently. But are we responding to things as as a body of believers that show Jesus and love and grace and truth, or are we debating and causing division? Some of us need to do a heart check and say, no, 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 no. I want to show the unity of the church. I want to show the amazing grace and love of Christ, even in my relationships, even online. 
So some of us need to get to a place of saying, yeah, unity requires action. And maybe I need to take action against myself and say, I got I to gotta knock it off. Well, so Paul in this passage, he outlines two things we're supposed to avoid. We're supposed to avoid controversies, and then we're supposed to avoid uh, divisive people. But he then transitions and shows us two things we're supposed to embrace. And the, the first one is this, um, we support our leaders. Verse 12 kicks off and says, when I send Artemis and Tychicus, what is it? Yep. Um, to you, do your best to come to me at Annapolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos and the, the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. When I was reading this, I feel like these are the kinds of verses that when we read in Scripture, you're like, why is this in here? Right? Like, there's just a bunch of names. I don't really understand it. But what I want to challenge you with is this is actually vitally important. There is something really special happening in these random few verses, and it's this. We're getting a behind-the-scenes look at Paul's ministry. We're getting a behind-the-scenes look of Paul caring for leaders and saying, hey, I'm sending these leaders over here. Hey, hey, hey I want to make sure I see Titus. Like, Titus, come, come with me. I want to build a friendship. I want companionship. We're seeing Paul cultivate a, a kind of environment of leadership development. And man, it just highlights care. It highlights support. It highlights that Paul cared deeply about the leaders that he was getting to do ministry with. He, says, he then also is encouraging that these leaders be empowered to continue to teach the people that they were responsible for. Like, this is powerful. There was a few, uh, few weeks ago, actually a few months ago at this point, where um, Jason and I were having a really bad week. Um, Jason had some personal stuff going on. It was a really long week for him, and, and I was preaching that Sunday, and I had some church stuff I was dealing with, and it was just, by the time we got to Sunday, if I'm being honest, like sometimes we're like, hey, we're glad you're here, but by the time Sunday happened, Jason and I were, were really feeling low. And one of our elders here, his name is Josh Rosh. Some of you know Josh. He plays on the worship team. Josh texted Jason and I that morning and said, hey, listen, I, I know you've had a long week. I'm going to come in this Sunday, on my Sunday off, I'm going to make sure you guys are taken care of. Like, I'm going to make sure I lead the morning, I'm going to make sure that if there's things that need to be dealt with, like, I'm going to deal with them for you. I, I don't want you to have to deal with these. You know, when people would come and, and they would argue to us about moving their preferences to the convictions, like Josh said, like, like I'm going to deal with those hard conversations this morning. And in the leadership structure of the church, Josh is no different than Jason and I. He's an elder in the church, and then elders and pastors are at the same level biblically. And in that moment, Josh said, I'm going to sacrifice to make sure you guys are taken care of. And then that moment, it was so impactful to me that another leader identified that leaders were struggling and that a leader was going to come alongside another leader. And that is what Paul is teaching here, is that we support our leaders. That, that, man, if there is a need leader to leader that we need to support, and if there's a need leader to person that the people need to come alongside leaders, and I need to tell you, I have felt so supported in this church. 
I'm so thankful that I get text messages and people reaching out to me. Hey, Graham, how are you doing? I feel supported. And I love that because that is what Paul is teaching in these verses, that we support our leaders. The last thing that Paul teaches is this. We love our family. We love our family, in particular, our church family. Verse 15 ends and it says this. All who care with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in faith and grace be with you all. Again, this is another simple verse that sometimes we read too quickly. We don't fully understand. But what I want to encourage you with, there is a powerful message in this verse. Polished teaching and showing us that we are called to love each other and support each other. In this passage, Paul says in his kind of clothing, closing thoughts that we're supposed to care for each other and love each other. That in the family of God, that in this room, we are the family of God and we are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And that goes for both outside the church and inside that we are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus of how we love each other, how we care for each other, how we support each other, how we pray for each other. We are in charge with an incredible purpose of God and that purpose to love God and to love others and to live a life living in the extraordinary promises that God has for us. And what I love too in this verse is Paul uses the phrase all twice. What that's saying is God isn't calling us to love some people sometimes. He's not saying, hey, I just want you to love the people that are in your little clique. I just want you to love the people in your little friend circle. I'm just calling you to love the people that you like. No, Paul is saying all people. If you are in the family of God, Paul is saying here, that in order to experience unity, that unity requires action and it requires us taking action in love and care. As we finish this series, Unmasking Average, Paul needed us to understand some things. This was probably, scholars tell us, that this is one of the final letters that Paul wrote before he died. In fact, it talks about Titus, um, him meeting Titus. Well, we learn that actually Paul never made it. In the process, Paul was in prison, taken to Rome, and eventually beheaded. And in this book, Paul needed the church and pastor Titus to know some critical things. Paul knew his time was running short. He knew Rome was on his back, and he had things that the church needed to know. In chapter 1, we learn about um, Christian leadership and what leadership really is supposed to look like. We've talked about how Christians are supposed to live, and Paul ends Titus with talking about how we're supposed to treat each other. That unity requires action. That there's things we're supposed to avoid and there's things we're supposed to embrace. That sometimes we get so caught in fighting each other that, we're, that we run away from unity and we rather our own opinion than, than the opinion of Jesus and the opinion of Scripture. And Paul needed to be direct. And he needed to teach us and train us in the way we're supposed to go. Because so often as people, we always drift towards average. Average is fighting. Average is fighting. Average is debating. Average is lukewarm love. Average is uh, divisiveness. Like that's average. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. 
we're unmasking average. You are called to live a life of extraordinary. God has so much for you. He has so much he wants you to accomplish. He loves you deeper than you could ever know. And in order to experience that, we need to leave some of this aside. When we experience fighting, we need to walk away. When we experience a divisive person, we need to call it out. And we need to embrace our leaders and we need to love each other. And that's what Paul is saying here. When I thought about, okay, how to close this, um, I thought about different challenges. How am I going to challenge you? How am I going to challenge myself? And then some things came up of like, um, well, I could challenge you if you ever experienced division, like maybe you should stop. That's a good challenge. I, I thought about, well, it, maybe you need to watch your conversations. Like how are you prioritizing the things you care about? Preferences, convictions, and absolutes. Like maybe there's a challenge in there. But here's what I want to do as we close out this series. I think there's something special about the church being the church. That we are the family of God. And that unity requires action. And sometimes we need to take action with each other. So here's what I want to challenge you to do today or this week. is to simply grab a meal with someone. This is the family of God. And there's something powerful that happens with grabbing a meal with someone and, and building a relationship and, and, and kind of enjoying unity and, and having conversations. That's powerful. And sometimes we do the thing where we just kind of like, well, I did the church thing today and I'm just going to leave. And here's what I want to challenge you with. Um, average would be, well, you just came to church and you worshiped a little and you heard a sermon and, and you just leave this building unchanged. The extraordinary thing to do would be to, well, I, I see that God wants unity for me. I see unity as my hope and I see unity as my witness and I see unity as my protection. And man, I want to take an action step and I want to step into unity. So maybe this morning you need to look around this room and say like, who, who am I going to grab a meal with? Maybe I'm going to go up and say, hey, I, you want to go to like dinner right after this? Or maybe you're going to schedule coffee during the week or you're going to grab someone and schedule dinner. Now that's out of some of our comfort zones. Some of us, this, the idea of that is like terrifying, but, but you know that you always sit on this side of the room and there's always that couple that sits on this side of the room and maybe today you're going to be a champion of unity and you're going to invite them out for a meal. Church, the mission of God is too important for us to be divided. There is a world out there that desperately needs the hope that we have. They need to experience the love of God. They need to experience the peace of God. And you have it. And sometimes we've been so much time getting distracted and so much time pulling each other apart. And maybe today you need to make a declaration saying, I am going to live in unity. I'm going to make sure that unity is surrounding me and I'm going to take action because unity requires action. And so this morning, will you take that challenge and simply grab a meal and start building unity with someone in the family of God? Let's pray. Father, I love you. We love you. God, I thank you that you didn't need to use men and women like us to build your kingdom. 
God, you could have just done it yourself. But God, you saw worth in us and you saw value in us and you sent your son to a cross to die for our sins. You raised again from the dead, canceling death and shame and guilt and you chose us to be used by you. And God, I thank you that in that we are your children and in that we are the family of God. And God, I personally say that if there's areas of my life that I have been getting wrapped up in secondary issues, God, that you'll convict me. God, if there's men and women in this room who are getting wrapped up in secondary things and they're losing focus of your word and, your, and you yourself, God, I pray that there's conviction that happens. If there's division among us, God, I pray that you put it aside and that we can focus on you. God, I pray that we'll take action in unity because unity is our hope. Unity is our witness. Unity is our protection. And so God, I pray we live in that today. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. In your holy name, amen.